happy May, Tisha. How is it May already? That's not. Yeah, I know it's May. It's May first, and it's kind of weird because it's Sunday, and we are not releasing a new episode. It's a encore release in honor of today. Yes, because today is bereaved Mother's Day. Yeah, and since we were kind of on a hiatus, we were taking a little break before we start season three, which will be on Wednesday. It just seemed fitting that we would re-release Kristen's episode. It is one of our earlier episodes and it's such a heart-wrenching and beautiful story, really. Yeah, and I think we both felt so privileged that we were able to hold space for Kristen, especially because she actually disclosed while we were recording that she had never told the whole story from beginning to end before. Mm -hmm. And Mother's Day is hard. It is. And it's, it's not, doesn't just have to be if you've lost a child or, you know, there's just so many different things that can contribute to it being a challenging day. Yeah. And that really is, how we kind of came up with this idea of doing sort of a motherhood focused month for May, but more focused on like, not just your happy mother's day story. So we have, right. Like, yeah, we're going to talk about people who've lost their mother, people who have strained relationships with their mother, people who became a mother in an unconventional way and people who've lost children, right? Like, I think Mother's Day brings up a lot of really difficult things for a lot of people. Yeah. And to just like walk into stores and constantly just be bombarded with all the happy Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, and like buy your mom this beautiful piece of jewelry and like all of that. Right. I think it'd be really triggering for a lot of people because for not, for a lot of people, it's not a happy Mother's Day. And I think there's like a longing for a lot of people who who don't have that. Well, so I relate to that, but what I think is really amazing is that there is this bereaved Mother's Day and I think it does need to be recognized a little bit more because Mm -hmm. not everybody's story ends like Kristen's where, well, you'll listen and see, like she does get, I I don't wanna say a happy ending, but she ends up in a happier place. Mm -hmm. But that's not the case for everyone and I'm sure that when you lose a child or are unable to have a child for whatever reason, that Mother's Day is very complicated. And those women, I think, deserve to be recognized. Mm -hmm. So if you are honoring today, we are sending hugs and love and we see you and we're with you. Mm -hmm. If you haven't listened to Kristen's episode, I, I recommend you do. And we'll be here on Wednesday with a brand new episode yeah yeah Uh Yeah. we're back baby we're back yes make sure to follow us on all social media platforms at the now what pod or shop our merch at nowwhatpod.com hi and welcome back to now what i'm jen And I'm Tisha, and we are joined here today by Kristen Joseph, who is a high school teacher and new mom. And she filled out an application on our site, which of course you are welcome to do if you'd love to be a guest. And we were thrilled to have her because um, we think that her story is 
so relatable for so many people. And again, you know, this show is all about talking about things that sometimes are uncomfortable, but that are real and that happen to people. So we're here with Kristen today and she's going to share her story with us. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Thank you for having me. Welcome. Thank you for agreeing to be on the show. So Kristen, you have had a life experience and have a story that I think we probably all know a woman who has gone through some sort of version of what you have gone through, if not ourselves. So why don't you, I guess, tell your story? Okay. Um, So my husband and I, for four years, we've been struggling with infertility. And anybody who has, we've had to go through IVF. So anybody who has either struggled through infertility or had to go through IVF knows what an absolute horrible experience it is. It's it's a complete roller coaster of emotions. Forget all the hormones that you're on, but just the the hopes and the dreams, and then the crashing down when it doesn't work and it doesn't take, and then back up on that roller coaster again. It's that's exactly what it is. Just a complete roller coaster, and unfortunately, it really takes over your life. Like as you're going through it, that's all you're thinking of. You're just walking through a fog. I think for the most part with your other daily events, but IVF is, or fertility is always in the back of your mind. And it pretty much is involved in everything that you're doing. So um, we met with our doctor and things looked really, really good, very promising for us. And we did a first round, um, got pregnant on the first try. Unfortunately, very early on, around seven weeks, it ended in a miscarriage, which didn't, I know, of course, it's a possibility, and but you just never think it'll happen to you. And I had no idea of how high the numbers were. It's it's one in four women suffer from a miscarriage at any given time, and one in eight struggle with infertility. And again, these numbers were completely foreign to me. I couldn't really understand what it meant. So the moment we suffered the miscarriage, it just uh, it put everything on hold, and we didn't know where we were anymore. We knew that our end goal was a family, but the experience was so debilitating that we didn't know what our next move was going to be. So we took quite a bit of time to heal from that. And then we did another transfer and that didn't take, I mean, forget all the stuff that you're going through, like with taking appointments off and work, because it's ridiculous the amount of stuff you have to do with the testing um, and the cycle monitoring. And then, um, again, all the hormones, the money, it's not free, right? So the money that you're shelling out, the down payment out of a house pretty much. And then we did another transfer. It didn't work. So we put things on hold. Um, We got married and we were in the celebratory phase with that. We tried again, another, a full another round. And we were lucky enough to get pregnant this time. So we're like, okay, this is it. We passed all the thresholds, like that three month window when everything, you know, if anything is going to go wrong, it usually happens in those first three months. And we were well past that. We got to our anatomy scan and we had a perfectly healthy little boy. Everybody was so happy for us. And um, I announced to my friends quite early because everybody, like my close friends obviously knew um, our struggle. And of course, everybody was just so incredibly thrilled. And then Again, we had our anatomy scan. Everything was perfect. He was growing right on track. And then I was at school one day. I was, it was during a snowstorm. So there wasn't a lot of kids in the school. I was teaching at an alternative school at the time. And we only had, 
probably about 20 kids in the entire school because it was a major, major snowstorm. It was February 27th of um, 2019. And I just didn't feel right. Something was off. So I went to the bathroom and I just noticed that there was like, there, uh, without getting too, too graphic, it, something wasn't right. So I called my OB's office and um, not putting fault in anybody, obviously, but things could have been handled very differently. And I don't know if it was because they're so used to people calling in with anxious moms. Right. Unfortunately, I wasn't just an anxious mom. Something was going on. I wasn't able to speak with the doctor. I was just able to speak with the receptionist and she assured me, no, everything's fine. This is normal. This happens. I was only 24 weeks. It wasn't normal. The day progressed and I just, again, I'm not feeling right. And now I'm starting to feel like I was feeling pains before, but she's like, oh, they're just Braxton Hicks. 24 weeks, Mm -hmm. a little bit early for Braxton Hicks. I was doing my own research just on Google, which I know you're never supposed to, especially while you're pregnant, right? Because it tells you every horror story. Um, But I'm just like, something's not right. And as you know, your body. And so I called back and I said, look, now something's really wrong. So I went to the bathroom and I'm like, okay, this is, this is now an emergency. There's something happening. And the pains are every few minutes. I've never been pregnant before, like this far along. I have no idea what this is. Is it just indigestion? Is it so I have no clue. So then she's like, okay, yeah, you need to get to the hospital. This is about three to four hours later. And still haven't spoken to the doctor. This is just the receptionist. And I'm not saying things could have been changed, but in my heart, I really do think that things could have ended differently because three to four hours plus another two hours driving because of the snowstorm, I could have been potentially given medication. I feel that could have potentially changed the outcome, but I, I, again, I'm trying not to focus on that. Um, anyway, so I'm driving to the hospital now. I'm, I don't know it yet, but I'm in, I'm in full labor and I leave the school in a panic. My car is covered in snow. So I have other teachers there. I'm in hysterics, right? So uh, there's other teachers there. And I even asked the doc, the nurse, the nurse, I'm like, do I do it at Sunnybrook? Because I know I'm so early and, uh, they are able to handle women of my gestation because they're that type of hospital. Or do I go to my regular hospital where my OB works out of. And she's like, no, 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 just go to your regular, your doctor's there, which was much further than where I, within Sunnybrook was to me, I could have gotten to Sunnybrook much, much quicker. So anyways, people are helping me clean off the car. I'm in the car, crazy snowstorm, like absolutely ridiculous. Of course it has to happen. So I'm on, I'm driving and I'm going honestly, probably 20 clicks an hour. And I managed to get a hold of my husband who was on his way home from work, but he's in the subway. So I've been trying and calling and calling and calling. Can't get a hold of him. I'm just in a panic. I'm holding on to the handlebar, like above the car, the, oh, you know what bar? And I'm holding on to that as these, I don't, I, I'm assuming they're contractions, but I don't really know. And I'm just, I'm, both of you have been through labor, so you know that pain. So I'm driving, having to go through that. You're and driving yourself. Driving myself. Yeah. Okay. I just and wanted you're to clarify. all alone in a snowstorm. Right. Contracting. Right. Right. Knowing and, and knowing what I had seen when I was in the bathroom, I know that this isn't okay. And I'm terrified of actually delivering in the car in a snowstorm going by yourself. By myself. So I finally get hold of my husband. I managed to be able to pick him up at the subway station. Picked I picked him up because like, it was on the way. Thank God. Thank God he was. I got a hold of him 
because if I didn't, I would have had to continue driving. And I, who knows how long it would have taken him to meet me at the hospital. So continued along, finally got to the hospital. He was able to contact my mom and his aunt. So they were going to come and meet us at the hospital. So we get to the hospital. I'm able to walk in. I'm having to take a break every once in a while, but I'm able to walk in and we get to the um, nurse's station. And I remember bits and pieces, but I think that my adrenaline was keeping me going. That was the only thing that was keeping me going. And by the time I got to the hospital and got to that little triage room that they have, you I kind of, a lot of of it is a blur because I think I finally let myself just be right without having to be able to focus on driving or focus on keeping some sort of wit about me. So I, and then that's when the pain really, really, really started hitting. And then they're telling me, uh, you're, in, you're fully dilated. Like, so I was, I went, I went from zero to 10 during that drive somewhere. So the pain that I was feeling was the proper pain. Was I transition. Had, you were absolutely. Transitioning. Oh yeah. My goodness. So they come in and they're giving me all the pain medication and telling me not to push and everything until they can figure out what's going on. And my husband was there and then I remember my mom and his aunt, they got there, but again, I'm in and out. Like I just, I, 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 I didn't black out physically, but I blacked out mentally and emotionally. I was just, I was just praying. I'm just pleading with them, do something, do it's too early. He's too little. Like you can't, we can't do something, something, something. So they tilted me fully back on the, um, the bed that I was lying in to obviously to work against gravity. Right. And then my water broke. And then that's when we're like, okay, this is, it's not, we're, we're not stopping it. They gave me every medication they could. But again, this is now probably easily five, six hours after I made this first call. And again, I'm trying, I'm really trying not to be angry, but fuck I'm angry <laughs> because yeah. I don't know if the outcome would have been different. Nobody knows. Right. And that's where I'm trying not to hold on to that because but your mind wonders what if. Yeah, because I was treated just like, oh, it's just it's just normal Braxton Hicks. Those were the words that were used to me, even though I was very clear what was happening. And I was ex- everything I explained when I had told people the story later, they're like, absolutely not. You were 24 weeks. You should have been sent straight to the hospital, right? So if not by ambulance, even. So, and then, so my water broke and then there's a rush of people. Everybody's in and out. My husband's being moved this way and nobody's really saying anything. My OB comes in and puts her hand where they go. And, and then she's like, and this is the word that the, the phrases that I just, they'll never leave me. She's like, I feel bits. Excuse me. What, the, what do you mean? What does that mean? And then I find out later that just means that the, it's his either arms or legs. That's what they were using. So oh, but still it Ooh. like, as I'm, still that those words again they will haunt me because it was that was the last words I heard before I was sedated and wheeled into a room and then my mom his aunt my husband that's the word that they were left with as well so nobody heard anything other than I feel bits and then I was wheeled out um so he was delivered via emergency c-section because he was getting stuck in my birth canal he was he was breech he was tiny he was only um one point five pounds little 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 guy um 16 inches so it was just but he was tall he was long right yeah, that that's height. pretty long yeah and they were asked he shouldn't have been that big but he was um and yeah I, I then uh, the last thing I remember waking up I was in a room um and 
one of the, and then my husband was like, okay, things are looking good. They told us that he's okay. And that, oh, before all this happened, sorry, sick kids was on a hell they were on a life flight over to us. So they got there just as my water broke. So had they not been there, I don't think he would have been revived. Sick kids was there and was able to intubate and everything. So had sick kids not been able to get there, they were actually rerouted from another place due to the snowstorm. So we got lucky that they were able to come to us because the hospital I was at, they're not equipped to deal with an infant that young. The earliest that they can take an, a, a baby is 28 weeks and we were only 24 or five. So they didn't, they couldn't do anything. So thank God um, sick kids was there just again for us to see him. And so then the, we're in some room and the dot and initially we were told, no, that he's doing okay. One of the nurses was saying that he's doing okay. He's on a ventilator, but he's breathing. His stats are okay, are okay for his gestation. A little he is, yeah. Right. And, um, and then and we're so we're, we're hopeful. And my husband is like, no, this is okay. We're, we're going to be okay. He's going to be okay. He's here. Right. That's all that matters right now. We'll work through everything else. So we had hope. And then I swear it was about 10, 15 minutes later, there's another doctor who comes in and goes, no, he's not going to make it. You need to be prepared to say goodbye. We're like, how, how? And she's oh like, gosh. he was never okay. So the fact that we were told he was when he never, there was just such a horrible miscommunication somewhere along the lines. Oh so again, another roller coaster, right? We're told, okay, obviously whatever happens, happens, but he's okay. And then to be told, no, he's not 10, 15 minutes later, and you have to be prepared to say goodbye. We were just so happy that he was okay. And now he's not. Mm -hmm. So then we were wheeled into another room um, where he was all hooked up. He was in his little two or his little incubator and they had taken the top part of the lid off. So he was just lying there with all his wires and his tubes. And so we were able to hold him. And like his little hands were so little, but they yeah. would like. Okay. I've seen the I've seen the, the picture. pictures. Yeah, a little peanut. Mm-hmm. So we were able to say goodbye to him. We um were lucky enough to get a priest to come in, and they baptized him. Mm-hmm. And then we were wheeled to um another room on the maternity ward which posed its own problems because I don't think that's also the right move to do. Um, and I hope, I hope somewhere they change that policy because hearing babies cry and the elation in certain parents, like, and then here we are saying goodbye. Yeah. It, it definitely wasn't okay and added to the drama. Yeah. That sounds so hard. That would be hard for anybody to have to do that. So it was just the four of us in the room with, um, we named him Mateo. And Anthony was his middle name after my father who passed away. He was just, he was tiny, but he was so perfect. He was so perfect. He didn't look, luckily, that he had been through trauma um, of the birth. He was just so beautiful. He looked exactly like my husband, like spitting image. And just everything, everything was just so, it was like everything was fully formed. It was, he was, he was a little, he was a little baby, right? But like, it was just, it was just so small. So like his, his little head would just fit 
in your hand. It was tiny, but it was just so beautiful. And so luckily, um, we all took turns holding him. Uh, my mom, his aunt, my husband and I. And um, just, I still remember his smell. I know that sounds weird, but you just took in everything, right, about him. Yeah. So um, he, we had him, he was born at 7.30 and he passed at, or was it 7.7 and he passed at 12.30. So we had him for five and a half hours and um, he passed in my husband's arms without anybody around. It was just us four, which is beautiful. So he wasn't on any tubes. He was allowed to pass naturally and surrounded by love. Like he, he was so lucky that he knew nothing but love and he didn't know pain because obviously there weren't any measures tried to keep him alive because he couldn't he was just too small um we don't know the extent of the trauma I think I think it was just that he was too small we don't really know they never really told us much um and the autopsy report doesn't really we didn't have an autopsy sorry so the I think it just it's just that he was small he was too small um Yeah. yeah so um and then afterwards, I had a beautiful nurse, an absolutely beautiful nurse who was just so comforting and just held my hand for most of the night. And then they bring you like a little keepsake. Um, I don't even know what to call it, like a little, um, uh, that, that has like a blanket and the little hat that he was wearing and the gown that he had on. Um, but it's, it's, they put it into this little foldable pouch, like a embroidered pouch type of thing like oh, a nice wow. beautiful it's I'm, it's actually really beautiful that they do that and they took pictures of him and everything more than we had or other ones that we had because we took a whole bunch as well um and yeah and then that that was that and then they kept us on the um now remember I'm, I had a c-section so it was also an emergency one so I had two incisions. So I had one on the outside, but then I had one on the inside as well. So two separate scars or incisions. Um, and they wanted to keep us a while. But again, we're on the maternity ward. No way. Get me out of here. Out. <laughs> I, I don't yeah. care how the, I crawl out of here. I need out. And I, like, they kept saying, no, 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 you need to stay a bit longer. I'm like, I'm not. I'm not. I'll sign whatever you need to need me to sign like AMA or whatever, but I can't stay here. I'm hearing women screaming and, and then the baby's crying and stuff like that. I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like we just let ours go. Right. So no, I need it out. Um, and then my OB actually never came in afterwards. She never said anything to me after the fact, like, again, there's so much anger surrounding that. Um, I think her shift just ended and she just left and I was kind of left without a lot of answers. Um, I mean, I, I don't necessarily need any, but I wasn't treated. I don't think how I should have been. Um, and you have the right to ask, seek information. Yeah, absolutely. And, or just, again, it's something from her, like, I'm sorry. A simple, I'm sorry. Like, it just we tried everything we could. I'm sorry. And I never got yeah. that acknowledging what you had just been through yeah and the rest again the rest of the nurses there were beautiful um it was just that from my doctor who I had built quite a beautiful relationship or so I thought um 
wasn't there. And I don't, I don't, I mean, there could have been her own issues there. Obviously, I don't know. It's obviously very difficult for them, I'm sure, right? To have to go through something like this as well. Mm-hmm. I just think things could have been handled quite a bit differently. Um, and so after that, um, you just kind of are sent home and told to go see your doctor in a week just to check for incisions and everything like that. And that is pretty much it. They didn't suggest like refer you to social work or anything like that. Just I got a call afterwards about a week or so later and they called me to check in on me. And then that's when I was given a bunch of information about, um, it's a pale group it's for pregnancy and infant loss um and they have groups that you can actually attend like in-person groups and they do have private therapy that um you can obviously sign up for um so my husband and I actually did go I think we went three times to one of the pale groups um and it helped so much the first session I actually when we it hadn't even started yet people were just kind of coming into the room and they were sitting down and then I left. I, I got up and I just, I did, we're talking like this was, oh, maybe four days after we lost him was the first meeting. It's a monthly meeting. And so we were super, super, super fresh. Yeah. And I was in a complete fog still. And yeah, the first session I had to leave. And then I had to, I went into the hallway for a bit and then I had to collect myself and I came back in. Um, and there were, I think there was about one, maybe four other couples there. And it definitely helped us feel left alone. And I was very lucky that my husband was willing to go as well, right, with me. And it wasn't just something I had to do on my own. And we felt a lot of, I don't even know the right word. It helped knowing that we weren't alone. Yeah. Um, because you can talk to friends and family about it, but you don't know until you know, right? So no, hearing other people's stories and we could relate to so much of them of what they were going through. It was like, okay, so you're in this part of your healing process and you, you lost five months ago and you can tell your story because you every time you're there, you have to tell your story and introduce yourself and everything. And you got through it without crying. And then this person got through half of it and then started crying that person cried the whole, but so it's, it's different levels and your whole, you know, so you can see where people are in their grieving process as well. And it just, it, it was a, a huge, huge help to us for sure. And I'm so grateful that something like that actually exists and that we took advantage of it because it can be very easy to go, no, 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 I'm not going to go. I don't want to see other people. Right. But, and we struggled with it in the beginning as well. Like, is it something we really want to do? It's still so fresh. Like I just want to lie in bed. Right. But we made the decision to go and it was for us, at least it was the right decision. Um, so we were very lucky that that was an option for us. In regards to work, I would I got the 17 weeks off. Um, now, I was in an alternative school at the time. I'm no longer there, but I was there for about three years. And being in an alternative school, you build such an intense relationship with these kids because there's only a, there's not, it's not a regular school where it has like 1,200 kids or so, right? We're looking at maybe 100 kids and only maybe 50 or 60 of them showing up every day. So the relationships that you form with these kids, they, they're your kids. They follow you with everything that you do. So they were so excited for this pregnancy. And 
the idea of having to face them, it, I was, it's so weird, but I felt like I let them down. It was, it's absolutely bizarre. So I couldn't, I actually couldn't go back to work when my, cause he passed, he was born on February 27th. He passed on the 28th. And then my 17 weeks would have brought me to, I think it was to almost June. And I, I couldn't do it though. I wasn't able to go back to work. Um, and then, so I just stayed off the extended time. And then obviously it ran into summertime. And then when it came to September, I was surplus. So I went to another school um, because I just couldn't, again, because I think also due to the trauma of what was happening, what, that the fact that it happened at school. So it brought back way too many memories of everything. Now I'm able to go back and it's okay. But for the longest time, didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I lost, I mean, I, I, there was so much that I lost in that year because I loved, I loved my kids. I loved that school. I loved my fellow teachers. We were such an incredible family and losing Mateo just completely changed everything for us. I think people don't realize what grief does to you and that kind of deep grief does to you. It takes over. It it changes it changes the way you relate to every part yeah. of your life, every well, person 100%. in your life. Yeah, and me, I was very outgoing. I mean, I, I I still am absolutely. Am I ever going to be the person I was for? No chance, right? I had like a almost innocent optimism to me, and that's gone. Hmm. And I'm okay with that. I understand like things change and but I'm I'm just I'm more scared of things than I ever was before. And I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like if we were in group settings, I'd be the first person to go up and say hi and da 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 and just kind of bounce from group to group. Um I'm a teacher too, so you're you kind of have to kind of be a bit well sometimes teachers are actually very introverted um but I wasn't I was very extroverted and I enjoyed I I flourished in social situations and afterwards oh the only people I could see were my immediate family yeah and how was it seeing them like was that also difficult I guess is what I'm asking um my mom and stepdad know because my mom and I are best friends. So well, she was a huge, with you and- exactly huge support. His family, like his aunts and stuff, absolutely not because again, she was there. She was with us through us. They all were devastated as well. They they knew our story. They knew what was happening because they were there. They got to say, you know, be with him and say goodbye with him. There will always be that special bond there. Um, the rest of my family though like cousins and stuff like that or any extra people no I had nothing even and my friends who I consider family like there's a bunch of us who we're just we're so incredibly close um I couldn't see people for months afterwards months and these are people that again I consider family but I just I couldn't have anything to do with anybody I didn't I my husband I became completely almost unhealthily 
attached to him, right? Like to go to a store, I couldn't go to a store by myself. The idea of being in public and not knowing when I would be triggered by something was just too, it was too scary. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that you're also never prepared for with any type of loss, I think, or any type of trauma. It's the triggers that just commercials. And I think I was talking about this earlier, the um, TV show, This Is Us, that me and my husband watched religiously. Um, one of the characters there, her story matched ours almost identically. And she ended up having her baby, the same gestation. He survived. Ours didn't. So I still, to this day, have not continued watching it. And I won't just because it's just, are you kidding? Like, (laughs) it's too much. But you have no idea when those things are going to come. No. Right? Like, there's no predicting for the most part. Right. Like, you might know that the hospital might be a trigger and you might be able to predict that. But seeing a baby at the grocery store. Oh, I couldn't. It was, you can't predict that. Well, we were and then the- I think what we didn't talk about is your body delivered a baby. Right. So your body was probably- And through C-section. Like I had, it was amazing. No, so you're dealing with that, which <laughs> I've had two emergency C-sections. I know yeah. what that recovery is like. Yeah. Um, but just like your body is expecting you to have a baby. You, right. you were probably going through the hormones and, and the milk coming in and all exactly. of those things. Yeah you know, um, that, but without the baby there. Exactly. And, um, but and there's the things like the mail-in things that you don't think, again, the little things you don't think about, you signed up for mailing formula or like if you bought stuff at maternity stores, the emails, the baby, like the, the apps, like the bump and what to expect when you're expecting, you kept getting, and I'm just like, Oh my God. And then when they come in, it's just a whole, like you just forget. You obviously don't immediately cancel everything because it's not on your mind no. until it comes in. And then you go to just, you're having an okay day. You open the mail and there's the Enfamil formula, right? Or there's the Huggies little diaper pack that they send you as like an introduction to everything. It's just, it was, there's everywhere. My husband and I went to the mall about a week after. I think we had to get something or we just needed it out. Something happened or maybe it was a couple of weeks after. And there was a baby in a stroller. And I remember just going, I got to get out. Like I started crying. I was like, okay, can I do this? I can do it. Everything, everything and anything. And the most unlikely things sometimes too would trigger you, right? So the uh, uh, commercials, <laughs> mm-hmm. commercials, if they had like those Pampers commercials, are just oh, some gosh. beautiful ones, right? Come on. They, make, they, they can make you cry having not gone through something. And I feel like, again, I I have my own kind of story with grief, but you never, you never know how intense it's going to feel, those triggers. Yeah. Like there can be something that one day doesn't knock you out and the next day it does. All the time. And you're like, okay, you know what? I got outside. I brushed my hair. (laughs) Something so simple. I took a shower, right? Without crumpling to the bottom of the tub and just sitting there for an hour because you, you can't get up right I I was able to go get the mail I was able to get in the car it's those little things and then the next day the idea of getting up is just so overwhelming that you can't so yeah it just it was ugh, it was recovery doesn't just 
climb and climb and climb and climb and climb and every day gets better, right? It's more sort of a wave. So you might have good mm-hmm. days and then followed by a bad day. Right. Right. I think that's, um, I think that's very typical, but I don't think that that's what people think. So then people see you maybe having a good day and they're like, oh, she's good. And then the next day you're not good. And that I think is, can be confusing. Oh, absolutely. And I can understand that too, because like my nephew, my little one, he's only, I have two nephews and he was only, the youngest one was only two at the time. And for a long time, like I remember my mom saying, is it, is it okay? Because they watched him during the day while my sister-in-law and brother were at work and the older one was in school. So they, they watched him and they're like, are you okay to be around him? Like, this isn't going to trigger you. And at first I wasn't sure, um, but we're very close. We have a very close relationship with my nephew. So I'm like, let me, let me try it. Right. I just, I want to see him. He brings us joy. Me and my husband are very close to them. So I went, oh, and then he's, the older one and I are very, very close, obviously, but the little one saved me. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. Being able to just get lost in his happiness, right? As a two-year-old is, they're just so beautiful. And he wasn't even two at the time, actually. He wasn't even two at the time, Um, just under. And it was just, it was exactly what I didn't realize I needed. To be able to walk down the street and him pointing at leaves or watching a squirrel and giggling in excitement, that allowed me, even for a couple hours, to be quote unquote okay and to be in the moment with him. If he wasn't around, my recovery, I think, would have been much darker, much longer because he kind of forced me. He was he was something I looked forward to seeing every day. Right. So I would, that would help get me out of bed. I knew I would go over and see them and, and just take them to the park and watch them slide down a slide. And it, it almost, it just became something that I needed to, I don't want to say heal because it's not the right word, but it, it was something I needed to put that one foot in front of the other yeah, and take the steps moving. necessary to keep moving. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it, it was something to do and it was something enjoyable to do, you know, like it gave you a purpose. Like you said, it gave you a reason to get out of bed. Yeah. Because I mean, I had no work to go to, right. I wasn't going back. And so that was part of my routine before. Now I didn't have a routine and this became my new routine. So it was something that was definitely um, necessary in order for me because other I mean I, it gets dark it gets really 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 dark and if he wasn't around I just I hate to think what could have potentially happened because I just wasn't it wasn't at a good place I mean I don't see any no. version of it could be <laughs> no um, no like what you went through is so heartbreaking and you can tell that it's it's still painful for you and you know, you're in tears and Jen and I are both in tears listening (laughs) to your story because that pain is, is so raw and so real. And like, you've described having so many different emotions, like you're feeling angry about what happened. Obviously you're, you're feeling sad, but then also feeling like, you know, you're talking about feeling like you let down 
yeah, right. Right. Like so many emotions. (laughs) And then also like, you know, you describing the time that you did have with him. Oh my gosh. There was so much beauty in that as well. And we were, we're one of the lucky ones, right. Who got to experience that. So we, we, we understand how lucky we are that we got that time with him and that we were able to say goodbye Mm-hmm. on our terms he was with us we were holding him yep. right so we're very lucky mm-hmm. and you have that memory and uh, I know from previous conversations that you've talked about how important it is for you to kind of keep that memory oh yeah alive. like we have our little ornaments on the tree for him we celebrate him like he just he would have been two this past February so we still got like a little cupcake for him and you know, put a candle on it and blew it out and wish them well. And there's, oh yeah, he's all over the place here. Like we have a lot of um, mementos that are dedicated to him and they always will be. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so while you were in the midst of like working through this trauma and deep, deep grief, something else happened, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, this is also difficult because, again, people are like, they it, it's the expectation versus reality thing, right? You don't really, uh, people have definite opinions on this. Um, we just, my husband and I knew that we were destined to be a family. And yet we could have been completely content with just the two of us, right? If it didn't work out, it didn't work out. Um, we have our little angel now watching over us, but we were just like, okay, let's try it. Let's just try one more time and see what happens. So luckily I healed very, very quickly after the C-section. Um, there was no ill effects afterwards. It was, it was a textbook um, healing and my doctor allowed me to try much sooner than I thought she would again. Um, and I have a feeling it was only because I was 24 weeks. I think had I gone to full term, I probably would have had to wait a full year, right? To allow everything to heal properly. Um, or maybe just because I pushed for it so hard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to be pretty persuasive if I need to be. Um, and so we tried again and we were lucky enough to get pregnant. And um, we wanted it so bad and we were so and I we still talk about all the time that Mateo allowed this to happen right he was there guiding everything and he he brought us this new pregnancy as a way for him to say you guys are going to be okay like I'm here with you this is like I I've handpicked this little baby for you to raise right and I'm going to be here along with you um Unfortunately, the pregnancy, beautiful as as far as health-wise, it was a very, very healthy pregnancy. Emotionally and mentally, I hated every second of it. I couldn't attach to it properly um, up until I was scared all the time. I was terrified um, with every ultrasound and the ultrasounds, I don't really tell you much either. I'm like, just look, just tell me, is there a heartbeat? That's all I need to know. And the ultrasound texts again, they're not really supposed to tell you anything. Right. But um, luckily for me, they did, I think based off my previous history Um, and everything was progressing as it should be. I couldn't, I couldn't relax. And then I was put at a school 
I think I was only 11 weeks pregnant then when September hit and um, I was put in a school that was for um, children with disabilities, but I was put in a classroom and it's a secondary school. Um, so the kids are quite big too, right? You could have one of my students was uh, mentally, he was very, very young, but he was over six feet tall and close to 200 pounds. And then there was other children in that or students in that class who their disabilities, they would lash out and they had aggression issues. Me being pregnant after going what I would just go through, I would have to deal with being bit and punched and all those type of things. So I said to my OB, look, I can't like I need out immediately. Right. Luckily, I was granted that. So I was able to stay off on sick leave until I delivered. But the entire pregnancy was just, I was just waiting for the ball to drop. And I didn't announce to, I mean, my very, very close friends knew, um, but I didn't even tell them. I think until after or the anatomy scan, and we had our anatomy scan at 17 weeks. So majority of them didn't know. A couple, I think about four or five knew early, but the rest of them didn't know until closer to 20 weeks, just because there was, there is, I, I was in the safe zone with Mateo. And now I know I knew way too well that there is no safe zone in the pregnancy. Um, so, and I also was dealing with, this is also now I hadn't seen a lot of people, right? Because after this happened, again, I didn't, I didn't see people for months. Um, I couldn't, I just couldn't see anybody. Nobody I knew at this point had gone through anything. It wasn't until after I told my story that I found out that there were a couple people who had gone through exactly what I went through, but mm-hmm. spoke about it. Right. So I was dealing with so much on my own. I couldn't see friends who had children. I couldn't see my own cousin who I'm so close to. She has four kids. And the idea, and these are, and how, how you get pregnant just by somebody looking at you. Right. And here we are, number one, struggling through infertility and now having lost not one, but two babies at this Mm -hmm. point. Right. It was just, I was angry. It was, life was just unfair. Why? We were good people. We've not done anything wrong. We've lived a good life. We don't hurt people. Why is this happening to us? Not that anybody deserves it, obviously, but those are the things that you're going through, right? So with this new pregnancy, I was just so afraid of telling people and then again, having to say, you know what, we've lost our other baby as well. It was just having to tell people was so horrible. Um, and then having to field all the support, which is amazing, but having to read the messages just, again, brought you right back to everything. So it wasn't until much later that I realized that people had gone through the same thing and, or again, similar experiences and their support was everything to me and some beautiful friendships have ever actually come from that because they were such an incredible support to me and just made me feel so much less alone. Right. Not that, I mean, Yeah. And it's so interesting that this really is something that happens Mm -hmm. and nobody talks about it. This whole 12 week, whatever, just, it drives me nuts because, and I'm fortunate enough that that was not my experience, but because it is so common I, I don't know. I've spoken to women that they were thankful of, of the for the people they had told earlier than that, so they at least had somebody they could someone they could speak with about it. Yeah, 
instead of having to be like, so I was pregnant and now mm-hmm. I'm not. Uh, I know, I know. You know? Yeah. And then it's, yeah. Like, so it's I mean, we really know from our own miscarriage so early that it's, it's extremely traumatizing. And just Absolutely. very isolating. Absolutely. Very uh, yeah. isolating. And I'm thinking back at the time, and because we were so early, we had only told a few people. And so then you go through it and only a handful of your friends know, but they don't under, and then the rest don't understand why you're struggling. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because they didn't even know you were pregnant until you weren't. Right. And I feel like, I don't know, because it's, it's a miscarriage, like, especially when we're talking about like an earlier before 12 week, and it is common that people are just like, oh yeah, that happens. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody talks about it, but it's also almost like laissez-faire. Right. Well, and it completely no- negates and minimizes yeah. the fact that oftentimes women have already formed an attachment. Absolutely. And it is a loss and they are grieving, even though they were only eight weeks pregnant. It doesn't diminish that. It was a loss for them. Well, and you have, there's hopes and dreams like you exactly. yes. in, in this, this little being. Now, and that's part of the biggest um, trauma that we still have with Mateo. Like it's always going to be the what ifs, what he would be too now. What would he look like? Like what would his personality be? What, who, uh, there's just so many things. Like what was his hair? Like, there's so many things that you'll always wonder. And we all, we, for the rest of our lives, we'll wonder, right? And a lot of people even now that we have, um, I mean, again, I didn't announce formally like on social media or whatever until I was close to 30 weeks because I was also afraid of what people would think. Like, because we got pregnant so soon afterwards, would people find fault in that? Like, oh, she didn't grieve enough, right? Like there's a time limit on how long you should be grieving for. But of course that's in the back of your mind. And mm-hmm. I hate that that was actually in the back of my mind because it definitely took away from me celebrating, Right. I mean, I had my own issues why I wasn't celebrating, but I didn't want to see, I, I didn't see a lot of people either because it, obviously you can tell, and I didn't want people to know or ask questions about it because then again, in the back of my mind, I'm like, it's just not going to work out. Right. So, and knowing when his due date was, it was March 2nd, but you don't know when they're going to come. So I was it's terrified so that it was going to come right in February. And I didn't want him to come in February because that is Mateo's month. I needed to keep that for him. And so then because I wasn't allowed to go past 37 weeks because of the, um, because of the C-section I had, they, um, was, they were saying that we could, it was a leap year. So they said that we could schedule you for the 29th of February. I'm like, so 27th, he was born 28th, he passed. And now I'm having our new baby on the 29th. I'm like, no. So we held off and then we had, um, we scheduled it for March 2nd. So at least they both have their own months. They're super close still, but that's okay because, but mm-hmm. at least that they, they have their separate months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously when he was born, I mean, I up on the table, I was freaking out. So I'm like, I'm not feeling him as much. I, I, the trauma and I'm back in that same trauma area or the, the, what's it called? The triage area where I had lost and then I'm just like, Oh my God, right, right here. Like this is exactly where it went bad last time. Right. So up until I heard him, (laughs) I was just having major, major panic attacks. I couldn't think like just, it was just, it was absolutely terrible. Um, 
And then but you you didn't go into labor though. It was a scheduled. C-section. No, it was scheduled. Yeah, so I wanted. So to at least there wasn't like. Oh, it wasn't an unknown no, length no. of. You know, I mean, Absolutely. not not to minimize how traumatic it must. Oh have no, been, but, but I would have. I I don't know mentally where I would have been if I did go into early labor, and what that would have looked like. Oh because no, yeah, and I imagine you know, throughout your pregnancy, you're talking about that fear. And then when you reach kind of that 24 week mark, yeah, I think it would be natural that your mind would be like, Oh my gosh, yeah. this is when absolutely this happened before. Yeah. And then right? after we got, it wasn't until probably the 28, like until we hit the third trimester where I'm like, okay, now if, if he were to come, he would be viable, right? right? Like, I mean, even though technically at 24 weeks, they're viable, which is why I think they did as much as they could to um, try to keep him mm-hmm. um, alive. And which is why he also was able to stay alive for those five and a half hours. But 24 weeks is viability. So it's like, fuck, right? <laughs> like, yeah. what happened? So I th- after around 28 weeks, I started to relax a little bit more I was feeling him so regularly. Like he was so strong. He, Oh my gosh, his kicks were fierce. So I started to feel a little bit better about things. I had a, I had a completely different OB. I was still at the same hospital, but I had a different OB. I couldn't go back to my regular OB. Um, and then people, again, people, once they found out were super, super, super happy for us. So any of the fears I had about people judging, I mean, who knows, maybe they did, but I would, I didn't feel any of that. Nobody told me any of that stuff. Luckily. Um, I mean, if they did, I'm sure I would have had a few choice words for them, but, <laughs> <laughs> but luckily I didn't experience that. I was very fortunate with the support um, of my, I call them my village. I'm very, very blessed to have the village that I do because they're, it's, they're exactly that they've picked me up when I couldn't walk and they've been alongside me the whole time. And they've loved due to stupid COVID, they've loved him from afar, but we've been blessed with a very, very, very strong support system. Mm-hmm. He just turned one um, and he's, oh, he's everything. And I, 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 we, I said it the other day, I'm like, I swear there's not a mother who loves their kid more than <laughs> I do right now because he's just, he's everything. And we, he's, he looks so like we did the, um, the 3D ultrasounds and the pictures of Mateo and him at the same gestation, they're almost identical. So she says, oh, wow. wow. Like their feature, everything. So we kind of think, is this what Mateo would have looked like as well, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, he's just such a little, oh, he's our entire world. He's, he's just everything to us. And he'll know, definitely, we talk about Grace, uh, Mateo to him all the time. So Grayson will definitely know his older brother and um I we think that they have I mean it is what it is but we think that they have a connection because when when Grayson was a baby we have an ornament um dedicated to Mateo in both our living room and in the nursery and out of everything else in the room they would he would focus on those two things all the time Mm -hmm. so we believe at least that there's definitely like that he's up there watching over us and watching over him for sure yeah, that's so, that's so nice. And, um, you know, one of the other things we've talked about in the past is that you, you do have this baby and you have this so-called happy ending, 
which I'm doing air quotes when I absolutely say that, because <laughs> sometimes people can look at your situation and be like, oh, she had all these struggles with infertility and she had a miscarriage and um, like infant loss. And then, but now she has this happy baby and she's healed and, and yeah. she's healed. And she, she just needs to be happy about yeah. this. Yeah. But and in talking bullshit. to you, right, <laughs> yeah. you call bullshit. And in talking to you, we can see that you still really do carry. The I always will. For the rest of my life, I will. Right, I'll always be triggered by certain things. Yeah. Happened before. And I just think it's so important for people to be sensitive to mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. when they are talking to women yeah. who've had similar experiences. I've had people tell me, oh, well, it's amazing that he's, he's now healed you guys. Oh, no, he's allowed us to move forward. And we are very lucky. We know how lucky we are because I have friends who have gone through IVF and they won't get their happy endings, right? Or they're still struggling eight, nine, 10 years through the process, $100,000 later, and they're still waiting for that happy ending, knowing that that clock is ticking and they might not get there. So do we realize that we are one of those lucky ones? Absolutely but we have suffered such incredible we're and we will always carry with it, uh, it, it with us. And my husband also, like, uh, that's another stigma. I think that men aren't allowed to be sad about it because they haven't had the same experience. Of course, it's different than what I went through. Right. But he lost his son as well. And I think a lot of, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast you can do right about, about how um, men deal with their loss and how society stigmatizes male loss and male emotion in general but both of us have lost something that we can never get back we've lost a life with somebody we've lost the future 60 70 years exactly exactly i think um well there's a couple things that that kind of came up for for me there um one of them is the idea that it's so interesting that people don't see it but that you can feel this deep grief and still look at Grayson and feel joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that you can feel those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they walk alongside each other. And right? one doesn't invalidate the other. Absolutely not. And, and also this idea with like happy endings and life experiences that it's like not a competition, but kind of Absolutely. like whose is who like, well, you're happy now. And, and so you need to be happy about that because think of all these people that have been trying for nine and 10 years and mm-hmm. didn't end up with anything. And it's each experience is just so unique. Yeah. And each person is going to live that in a different way. And we can't minimize our own experiences simply because someone we think that someone has had it harder or someone else thinks right. that they've had it harder. Right. Or try to validate somebody either. Like we, those who have gone through trauma don't need your validation. They don't like we're, we're, we're good. We're walking our own path and it's how we need to figure ourselves out and people can be there to support you. Absolutely. But they can't heal you. And I'm so, I've, I just, you can't fix me i'm not necessarily broken but if i am i will be able to pick up my pieces if i ever do when it's my time to right and to try to hurry that process along or try to again liken your trauma to somebody else you can't all three of us right now have completely different traumas which we can empathize with but we can't ever walk in each other's shoes because we did we didn't have the same experiences 
So when somebody tries to liken their experience to mine, I listen, but I'm just like, like, stop. You don't need, I don't need the validation of your trauma either. And I appreciate mm. your story hundred percent. It's not that I don't, but we don't, it's that competition. Like, oh yeah, well, yeah, I don't and sometimes this, people, you know, people are probably doing that in a, in a way of trying to connect, connect Yeah, but also sometimes there is this sort of, well, I know someone who has a worse story right. than yours. Right. And you know, this idea that, oh, you have a baby, so you should be thankful because some people don't, mm-hmm. right? Like that idea of kind of trying to find the silver lining and trying to compare in this sort of competition between whose trauma is worse. And then it's so invalidating to a person who is feeling all the feelings. Exactly. To have somebody be like, well, you know, it could be worse. At least yeah. you have your happy ending. Yeah. Or at well, least you're at healed least he was now. alive. You got to, like when they're talking about Mateo, oh, well, you're, you're lucky that you got those five hours with him. Again, I know we are. I understand that. But he didn't come home with us. We were left. Yeah. We left the hospital. I walked in pregnant and I left again, like Jen said, I left with all the hormones and all this and this and this and going through all everything that your body mm-hmm. naturally goes through after you have a baby without the baby. Right. Mm-hmm. I had already bought stuff and things were already, we had plans for the nursery and all this type of stuff. And then what you're left with just these things, but nothing to do with them anymore. Right. So then, and, and then again, when, and that was a huge fear when I was, when I did get pregnant again, was just like, uh, how am I going to navigate this? If people are, what do I do if somebody comes up and says, oh, well, you moved on quickly. Again, the idea of moving on, right. It's just, it's so, and that's a huge trigger for me. And that's why, and my mom accidentally said it. She didn't mean to, she absolutely, like, oh, I can't even remember in which context she said, but I remember the word moving on. I'm like, oh, wow. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> and well, for me, the distinction between like passed away and died. Mm-hmm that's for me I will correct anyone who says where Mateo did pass away yeah right my husband did not right and it's things that people say it's they're these it's just a part of the lexicon to kind of make people feel better or something you know to To soften soften it it. yeah Yeah. wow and there's Uh, no they don't mean harm again no not at all and a lot of things I have found that like, even with my own friends who have gone through some of the similar things, they've educated me on a lot of how to navigate through this trauma as I had to um, educate my mom in that one instance. And again, my mom is again, my best friend. She's my super, super support. I mean, we completely lost without her. So I'm not trying to say anything negative at all. It was just that one little slip, her not knowing, right. It was just those two words instead of moving on. I say moving forward. Because again, it's never, this will be with me until the day I die, right? It's never, ever going to be something that I can move on from. And again, it's just like you were saying again, with the died and passed away, there's little things that for people who have gone through something, that those are our triggers, right? And that it's not, again, it's not something that needs to be fixed, but it's something that I I don't have a problem correcting people on because it is important for me that they understand too, that I'm, I'm right now, I'm strong enough that if somebody were to say to me, if said, oh, you've moved on, I can be like, no, I'm moving forward, right? Without Mm -hmm. breaking down. But if I was told that a year and a half ago, completely different story. And I know Jen likes to use the, the phrase sometimes moving through. Yeah. 
That's be- that's actually perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like I'm moving through it. I'm yeah. As opposed to the moving on and it, as someone who's gone through this, I want to ask you, like, why do you think it is that people are so hesitant to talk about it? They're afraid, I think, of saying the wrong thing or of triggering you more. Like for me, one takeaway, I wish people would mention him more. Like if I cry, that's okay. I like when people remember him because mm-hmm. he was here. And you're his yeah. mom. And I remember the first Mother's Day that happened. So I see all these triggers are coming back. The first Mother's Day that happened, I had a, an acquaintance. It wasn't a friend. It was an acquaintance from university. And they're like, I had posted something or somebody was saying, like, I posted something about like happy Mother's Day to those who have lost, to those who have loved. Like, it was just about to yeah. those who are still struggling. It was one of those generic posts, right? That you see, but it's very inclusive of everybody who's gone through struggles and who is a mother, who was a mother, who wants to be a mother, one of those. And then I had somebody DM me saying, oh, well, um, in order to be a mother, you have to have a baby. Oh. <laughs> it, it crushed me. I wasn't strong enough at that time because it was the first Mother's Day without. And he should, I, I should I mean, be, yeah. he was due in June. So I should be preparing for his birth. I should be, mm-hmm. so, I was so close. And to hear that I, at that point in time, I was yeah. so I was just, it destroyed me. I was actually feeling good about things that day. Like I was sad, but I was like, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And it was like that mantra, you keep telling yourself, you're going to get through this. You can, you can do this. Right. And to get that message, I was like, it destroyed me in the immediacy. And then I got really fucking angry. Yeah. And I'm I actually really angry I, on your behalf right wow. now. And it's just like how, I mean, immediate block, like delete and block, right? Like I didn't even like, I, I think I said a few choice words to the person and then done, like never yeah. to be seen from again. I kind of wish I had given them an opportunity to respond to me because I would have continued the conversation, but it probably wasn't healthy at that mm-hmm. point because mm-hmm. it might have gotten really nasty. Um, but I think I made a post about it actually afterwards and letting people know that this happened and that it's just, it's it, that luckily that was the first time and the only time that happened to me. Everybody else was so beautiful. I got one of my very close friends even sent me flowers on that day to, you know, to say happy mother's day. So again, my close friends are absolutely fantastic. So inclusive. They say his name, right. They have bought me little mementos to remember him. It's the ones who don't necessarily know what to say or how to say it or are afraid of triggering me. And again, Mm -hmm. if I cry, that's okay. It's not something that you've done. Um, I can cry at anything. My emotions, again, are all over the place now. I mean, first, uh, having Grayson, but with Mateo, they're always going to be in, an, in a roller coaster. It doesn't matter, right? So if I cry one day, that's okay. But I can also cry and still be happy. Now I can remember him. I mean, besides telling the story, because it's actually the first time I've told the story full, like th- fully through since everything's happened. Um, wow. Yeah. I am so honored <laughs> that you yeah. chose to tell it here. I did not know that. I didn't yeah. think I would cry, but I did. But I now I get understand why because I've never know. I've ever since it's happened, I've never told the full story, like from start to stop. So I've told bits and pieces, but never the full thing. 
Thank well, you. I hope that, <laughs> you. that you do find this experience of telling your story to maybe be cathartic for you. It actually is. Yeah. Because there's so much power in, in sharing our stories. There's so much power in sharing it and having people relate to it and being able to help people. But there's also this other piece in telling our story and, and feeling heard yeah. that is actually helpful to the storyteller. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. And also I think all everything that you're sharing, especially now, like you answered, I think a question we like to ask without us even asking it in terms yeah. of like what people can, how people can support someone. And it just, it's so important. We just want to bring awareness to mm-hmm. the fact that people are walking around, you know, the whole idea, the meme and the quote or whatever you call it. Yeah. I'm old that you see around, um, you know, you know, you never know the battle that someone else is fighting. Um, and so that maybe people will think before sending a flippant comment like that person did yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, and then also, I think, and I talked about this a little bit in my episode, the idea of, because people being scared of what to say, people are very yeah. scared of death. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and especially I find with a child loss, oh, yeah. it's not supposed to happen. It's completely unnatural, right? Totally. Yeah. So people don't want to offend or they just, they don't know what to say. Like it's, it's just, again, with the trigger, they don't want to mention him because they're afraid that it's going to bring me back to that time. And that's not the case. I would, I, I welcome conversations about him now because I am in a place right now that, I mean, my husband and I talk about him all the time yeah. and he's part mm-hmm. of our of our conversations it's just if somebody mentions his name like a little oh you kind of get like oh you you're acknowledging you him, him right yeah. you're remembering yeah. Him. yeah because again he was here he he, he was with us. he's always going to be part of us I mean he's forever part of my DNA for example right so the fact that you're acknowledging him it brings me great it's almost a pride like that I carry like yeah. that And it makes so much sense you saying that, but there definitely is this kind of negative things happen to people and you might know the negative thing happened to that person, but you do not dare bring it up again. Right. I think, right. Like, yeah. What I hope comes to people who listen to your story and to my story and and all of the stories that we, we are going to share, I hope it gives people the confidence to, to own that they don't know what to say yeah. and try to say something anyway. And just yeah. say, I might get this wrong. I don't Absolutely. know if this is the right thing to say, but I love you and I'm thinking of you and this is what I'm thinking. And just don't try to fix it. You can't no. fix it. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not needed to be fixed either, right? Bring my baby back. That will fix it. But you, you can't do that. Can't. No. But you can sit there with me. And again, this is my fault too, because I didn't let people sit with me. But when I did, they were there, right? Yeah. So you don't need to, uh, sometimes you don't even need to talk. Just sit with me. We can put a stupid movie on or we can sit on the porch and just have a glass of wine and just be with each other. That for me was the best. Like just being able to go walk with my friends or just to sit and talk mm-hmm. or just be, be like, I'm still the me that there's still me in there. I'm not the me I was before and I'm still figuring out who me is, right? But I'm there still. There's part of me that wants 
things to not to go back to the way they were, but for me to lose, I'm, I'm, I'm scared still of a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think the more I, I mean, COVID is obviously <laughs> really super helpful. <laughs> so I want to be able to be with people again and to be comfortable in being in situations that make me uncomfortable. Right. I tell my students that all the time that there's so much um, accomplishment in being comfortable and the uncomfortable. And I want to get back to a place where I'm not always, I just, I want to let go of the fear. And since losing Mateo, that's something that's really changed in me as I'm just afraid of everything. And even with Grayson, having Grayson, it hasn't changed that. I'm just now, again, I was so, 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 so happy and blessed that he's here, but there's always something holding me back. And I, and on social media, you'll see that I have, of course, I post way too many pictures of him, right? And I'm this huge overshare. And I think I'm entitled to that, though. That's fine. If you don't like it, um, mute me, unfollow me. I really don't care. <laughs> Who mutes um, or unfollows babies? <laughs> Come on. Babies and babies. I, I, I was I, exactly right. And it just, I, I don't know. I just want people to be, to realize again, we can't be fixed. Say the ba- say our baby's name, say our loved one's name, talk about them because they mm-hmm. will always be with us. Talk mm-hmm. to me about your experience. If you, if about the trauma, I'm okay talking about it. Right. And just be with me. I don't know. I don't know how else to simply. No, but it's, it. you're right. It like, there is that be with me, but also I think you touched on this other piece that you weren't ready at first. Yeah. Oh, but you needed time. people to be with you yeah. when you were ready on your terms. And I have to imagine you needed people to be understanding when you were going and patient because I understand like especially with after everything happened people just want to be there right especially my close friends like what do you mean like I can't come see you like they just wanted to let me come by and I'll just sit with you I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't because I felt such again there's the grief was just so deep and so dark and so heavy that I didn't know how to be I didn't know what the next day was going to bring I didn't want the next day to come right so the idea that I would have to just even muster up enough energy to open the door to allow somebody to sit on my couch with me it was just and I know and I felt bad about that because I know they wanted to help and I know they wanted to be there with me because they loved me and I was just so hopeful that they would be able to understand luckily they did but it was always in the back of my mind did I push people away after that happened, right? Like, should I have been more open to accepting help from people who just loved me and wanted to be there? And I don't know if there's a right answer to that, or I don't know if I should have gone and done anything differently. I was lucky that it didn't affect my friendships, but I'm sure it could have. But at the time, I just, there was such a sense of, I don't, I don't even know. It was just, there was jealousy. There was a lot of jealousy. And I hate to admit that. I, I hate it. I've never been a jealous person, but to see my friends with their kids. Well, uh, yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. most of your friends that, that, you know, I know have kids. Right. Um, and that has to be brutal. I think Even when they would complain about their kids, that was the worst for me. I, because yeah. I would give anything to complain about. To and that's complain even when we had Grayson, like I was like, if he wasn't sleeping through the night, I was like, I, I prayed for the day that I would be able to complain that he wasn't sleeping 
right? So the idea that I was jealous of my friends was just, it was a horrible feeling. And it's one that I've actually never admitted until right now either. You guys, I don't know what it is about you. Just getting me to open up. <laughs> I used to pay you for therapy, for God's sakes. But the fact that I was, again, I've never experienced jealousy before. So the fact that I was jealous of my friends for having their children and being happy or complete. And you want to be happy and you want to celebrate with <sighs> them. But yeah, I mean. I couldn't. I couldn't. There was nothing mm worse to me than the idea of say having to see uh, uh, or people who were pregnant at the same time I was I had to unfollow like on Facebook or on Instagram because they were all I had a a few people who were pregnant around the same time or who were due to have their babies around the same time as I would have been had I gone full term no chance I couldn't Mm -hmm. I couldn't and I there's still I can't a couple people I've been able to, but some of the others, I just haven't because it was, say it was in June when their babies were born right. and it's too triggering. Like that's where Mateo should be right now. He should be riding a little yeah. tricycle and stuff like that. I was like, mm. still, it's so I'm still, I'm still not ready. And I probably never will be for that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm. think there's anything wrong with that. Um, mm. And I don't think there's anything wrong or you shouldn't feel any shame for mm. feeling jealous either. You know, it's just, it's part of this process of working through our feelings and working through our grief and getting to that point where you're doing more than just putting one foot in front of the other, you know? Yeah. And I'm just going to speak on behalf of both of us. Like you are amazing and we are yeah. beyond thankful that you are willing to share so openly and vulnerably mm-hmm. with us. Thank you for allowing the forum to even exist. And, you know, I'm I'm so sorry that this is that this is your story and that this is the story for so many women and that it is so lonely. It's lonely. That's a, yeah, it is lonely. But I think what you're doing in sharing it, giving an opportunity for someone else to not feel so lonely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if you are willing, we'll put how people can maybe reach out to you in, in the, the show notes. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll share your contact, your Instagram, the socials, whatever down there, because it's so interesting still to me that it's such a lonely thing and so many women go through it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's true with like, again, the couple of friends who reached out to me that they had gone through the exact same experience. I will forever be indebted to them because they yeah. walked exactly the same path that I did. And they, and to see where they are now, even though I know there's always going to be that grief and that trauma that is there, mm-hmm. knowing that they were able to put a foot in front of the other and they're doing what they need to do to be okay in this moment gives me hope that in two, three years, I could potentially be where they are, right? That I could maybe mm-hmm. tell Mateo's story in another two years and I can get through it without crying. And if I don't, that's still completely okay. Yeah. I mean, but... you're, you're doing it. You are doing it. Yeah. Can I, and I hope I don't, you don't feel like I'm putting on the spot, but before we close off, mm. I just wonder like, what are some things that you do for yourself to kind of move forward? Like what are the things that you do to help yourself in those dark grieving times um, I write. That helped you. Great. I write. I, I started a blog after Mateo passed, mm-hmm. and I haven't kept up with it as much as I wanted to, which is 
it's not, it's actually, I guess, part of my process, right? Because before I was writing all the time, obviously in the immediacy of um, after he died, but now it's, I, I talked to him on Christmas or birthdays and stuff like that. So I just, yeah, I have a blog and I laid out everything there um, and mm-hmm. I've got pictures of him. So I can always go back and look on those and see mm-hmm. our story and see where we were. But for me, writing has always been something that I've had to do to get me through things. After my dad passed, it's exactly where I turned to as well. And with Mateo, with his blog, yeah, it's something that I'll, I'll always treasure. But that in the immediacy, when the days were dark, 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 dark. And I, again, I was a bit scared that sometimes I didn't know mm-hmm. what, where I would end up. I, I just wrote. Can you tell us the site for the blog? It's com. Thank you so much. Uh, We're so honored that you came and were on the show today. Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, we're Tisha and Jen. Remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.